Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 93 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 9th of December 2012, entitled The Glorious Church of Jesus Christ, part 25. And the Bible reading is taken from Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 47. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. We're going to take the first of our scripture readings, the passage that we have looked at a few times in Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 47. And of course, as we pray and seek and ask God to speak to our hearts this morning, we're looking here at the first church, the first church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was established there on the day of Pentecost after Jesus had returned to be with the Father. He fulfilled his promise of sending the Holy Spirit to indwell those believers that they might be joined together into one body to carry on the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on this earth. As we stand to honor the reading of God's holy word, we read from Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 41, which says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. The same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers, and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord, in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Father, what a glorious privilege, Lord, to be in your house again today. Father, we pray that we would never take this lightly. Lord, the freedom that we have, the opportunity that we have to be able to come together, the glorious privilege that it is to be part of a body, Lord, not only of that body that one day will be called out of here to meet you in the sky, when for the first time all the body of Christ will be together to be joined with you there. But Father, now as we gather locally, Lord, in this local body here at Bethel, Thank you for the privilege of being a part of this body, for each one that you've added to this church, Lord. And Father, we just pray that as we meet together today, Lord, as we look into your word, Lord, I pray right now because we know that it would be the devil's great duty and certainly joy today, Lord, to distract hearts and minds from what you would have for us. But Father, I pray that you would help us. Help us to be focused upon you, upon your word, upon what you have for us. Lord, speak to our hearts as only you can. And please help us, Lord. Help us to be receptive to what you have for us. And help us to be responsive in whatever way we need. Help us each and every one, Lord, that in some way, somehow, we leave this place today. Help us to be a bit closer to our Savior and a bit more like him. 
in all that we do. And we'll praise you in Christ's name. Amen and amen. The glorious church of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful, wonderful thought as we look into God's Word. And you know, most people just kind of, it's very, very easy to take the church for granted. It's just there. Uh, it's nice to know that it's there when we need it and when we want it. But of course, as we have now looked at how many, this is uh, uh, number 25 in the, in the sermons on the church. And there's been so much that we've just had to skim and skip. Folks, it's pretty important when Jesus Christ, the Bible says that he literally died for the church. It's pretty important when we look and realize and understand that that is what Jesus Christ built and left upon this church that his work might be accomplished as he indwells each and every one of you as individual believers and then brings us together and joins us together as one body so that together that we can work and function with him as our head that again his work can be accomplished on this earth. And we've looked at a lot of things. We define the church, both the prospective universal church and the present church, the local church. We've looked at the design of that church and its organization, its officers, its ordinances. And we've been looking the last few weeks at the operation. And we looked, first of all, at the, the focus of the church. The focus of the body of Christ is the same as the focus for you and I as individuals, and that's the glory of God. So many times it's so easy for us because of the culture we live in, because of, I guess, our just uh, natural flesh and the things that we, that we get used to. It's so easy for us to get in the mindset of the church being what we need to fulfill my needs, to do what it needs to do for me. And the thing is, I can't overemphasize, I can't overstate what the church will do for you. But that's not what we're here for, what it'll do for me. It's what it'll do for him, his glory. You see, the simple truth is, is God places us there that he might be glorified. That when people come in, they don't see how good we are. And you know, it's great that we love each other. It's great that we love the people that come in. But it's more important that they see that he loves them. And hopefully he'll do that through us. But I'm saying the glory has got to be his. And everything that we do should be focused upon his glory. That's why, you know, it's a whole lot easier to kind of let the church lose its priority in our lives if it's me that's hurting or me that's sacrificing. But as we begin to put all this together on the church over almost a year now, we find that, no, it's not me. It's the body of Jesus Christ. It's his body. It's not functioning complete if I'm there and not, not letting God do through me and use me in the way that he wants to, then the church is not operating. His body, you know, it's like, you know, you try to do something with one arm tied behind your back or sometimes two arms tied behind your back or a leg tied up behind you or, you know, you can't hear, you can't see or you can't smell. If you're part of the body, you're important. You're vital to the body. We've, we've looked at those things already, but not... Because it'll, what it'll do for you. You'll never be a strong Christian. You'll never be able to fulfill God's role in your life 
if you shut off the Christians around you, if you're not part of it, but our coming together has got to be focused upon him, his glory, his body working effectively, his body doing what it should. You see, it takes on a different role if me not being faithful. It's not me that I'm hurting, but it's the body of Jesus Christ. It's the body of Jesus Christ because am I, am I not a part of the body? Am I not important? Well, that goes contrary to everything the Word of God says if you're not. So it's important that you be a part, and it's important that you understand the, the glory, the joy, the privilege of being able to function as the body of Christ. And of course, as we begin to look at those functions of the church, what does the church do? It's not just a club. It's not just an organization. It's not just a fellowship. We love the fellowship around here, and that's, that's part of it, as we will see. What does the church do? And as we've begun to look at these functions, we begin by looking at the ministry of worship. The ministry of worship, because I guess that, you know, there's a lot of different ministries of the church. But, you know, that one time that we have... You know, I can't remember. You know, it's, it's kind of strange when you stop and think about it. I can't remember when even this body here has had all the body together at one time, ever. Always somebody missing. Somebody's ill. Somebody's away. Somebody's got some reason for not being here. Somebody's working. So there's always going to be parts that are missing. But it's important that as, that as we come together and as we function together that we recognize and realize this is the time when we have more of the body together than any other time. This time that we come together, we're going to find out some things later, how important that Bible study is and prayer is and so many things, but this is the time when we've got the most together. We do, we spend more time together in this thing called worship than in anything else that we do probably. And as we begin to look at that, we look first of all at the essential in worship. And you can go back and you can look through that. There's very, very important. Folks, if you're going to truly worship, there's only one way to worship, but that is in spirit and in truth. I will emphasize here this morning, number one, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, if he is not your Lord and Savior, then it is impossible for you to worship him. There is no way that you can worship him if you're not one of his. We find that that spirit is really a twofold thing there. We must worship in spirit and in truth. It must come from the heart. You can have all the intellect in the world. You can know all of the answers. The simple truth is, is that if it's just coming from the head, if it's just actions, if it's just based upon intelligence, too many times, too many times, God, I would pray that we would never get to that point here at Bethel to where that as many, 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 many quote-unquote churches are, that it's just a ritual that's gone through. You know, the simple truth is, is that if we're going to genuinely worship, we can have a church service, folks. We all got it memorized. We know all the things that we have to do. We know what we're supposed to do. But just because we come together and we sing these three songs and we sing these two choruses and we read this scripture and we pray these prayers and we do this and we let the preacher get up there and preach a bit, that doesn't mean that we've had worship. 
They that worship must worship in spirit and in truth. It must come from the heart. Everything with God must come from the heart. The intellect will never get it done. That doesn't mean we should be stupid. We should try to know everything that we can possibly know. The Bible has much to say about the importance of knowledge. But when it comes to doing things for God, it's not just out of the knowledge. You know, the only way we become a child of God, you can know the Bible from cover to cover. But it's with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's got to begin in here. It's got to get from here into here. That's the only way that you can become a child of God. That's the only way that we can truly worship him. It must come from our spirit, but folks, our spirit must be controlled by the Holy Spirit. We can easily get in the flesh. We can be sincere and genuine as we possibly can be. Spirit and truth. He is truth. He is the only genuine, real truth. Man is not infallible. Man can make mistakes. That's why it's all got to be based upon his word, his truth that he's given to us. That's where the devil will attract. That's what he'll try to belittle. That's what he'll try to get people to not believe. To somehow, You know, I guess if, if the devil had his way, God would not truly communicate with man in any way. And if he did communicate, he would communicate through some book that some man had written. Nothing like the Bible in all of the world. Over a period of 1,500 years, that book was written. We find that he used something like 40 writers, 66 different books, and yet it all comes together from beginning to end. It's God that inspired and breathed and gave it to us, and nothing else in the world will compare to it. But the devil will try to tear it down in spirit and in truth. Number one, based upon his truth. That's, what we're, that's why I've said that, you know, I believe that worship must be a regular, regulated by God's word, not just us doing our thing. And just if God says don't do it, then it's okay. Let's just, let's look to God. What does God, what does God say that true worship is? And let's abide by what he says, not what we feel, not what we think. Spirit and in truth, his spirit working through our inner spirit, his truth working through us. Look, there's no hypocrisy with God. You know, I look across the congregation right now. God knows what's in every individual's mind here. Are you thinking about him and his word and what he's wanting to say to you right now? Are you thinking about something that happened last week or something that's going to happen next week? Were you thinking about what somebody else said that you didn't like or somebody? You know, so many people come to worship and their worship is destroyed because they're too worried about what everybody else is doing and why they're doing what they're doing. Hypocrisy. You can't worship like that. They that worship must worship in spirit and in truth. Essential. There's no way to get there otherwise. God's spirit controlling our spirit. God's truth coming through us operating upon what he wants and not what we want. Now, we began to look at a lot of the, the, not only the essential, but the elements of that worship. 
And boy, we, we spent some time last week on one that I said is, is one of the most controversial, divisive things in all the churches. You say, well, preacher, why in the world do we want something like that in our church? It's something that divides all these different churches one from another, and it's even something that divides congregations within congregations. People have all their joy removed. People come in trying to think that they've done something good because they've come in and they've been so critical of everybody else because of what they did because they're so much more spiritual. See, the devil uses these things to destroy your worship. Number one, you can't truly worship God then. And number two, you're not going to get anything out of it. It's not going to help you spiritually. We find that we said that one of the things that we, that we do when we look into or when we come together to worship is that we sing. That's how we generally begin. We said, you know, you can look at our order of service. There's not one in the Bible, unfortunately. We can't go and he says, okay, you're going to sing a song here and you're going to pray here and you're going to do this here and this here. God didn't give us an order of service. That's individual. That will vary from church to church. But that order of service should be based upon the word of God. And so I said, okay, you take the order of service that we have here. Why do we do the things that we do? And folks, this is not saying that everybody else has to do it the way we do it. We're saying, do we have a biblical basis for what we're doing when we're coming together? Now, just doing these things is not going to be worship. But these are the elements of worship that are there as a part of it. And, of course, we looked last week at music. Music. You know, why do we sing in our churches? You know, especially if we know that, wow, you know, if we sing this song, that other church is really going to think bad of us. We said, you know, I mean, some people think that there should be no music. Some think that what songs that you sing should be without any accompaniment music. It should just be a cappella. Some think all music should be old music. If it's not 200 years old, at least 100 years old, you can't sing it yet. Some think that it's all got to be new, that the truths that were written 100 years ago or 200 years ago, they're not worth anything anymore. It's got to be new. Some think that the old or the new or whatever, that it's got to be with music, without music. Some think that it's got to be sung by congregations as a whole, Others think that it's nice for individuals and choirs and, and groups of people to do it. Some think that you're totally off base if you do it the other way. Some think that, you know, that I guess that uh, whether it's old or whether it's new, many say that, uh, you know, you can't sing this because so-and-so sings it. If they sing it, you can't sing it. Uh, some would say you can't sing this one because so-and-so wrote it, and so the author but I, you know, may I say this first of all? We can't go back, and we're not going to go back and spend the, the whole time on music again. Let me give you a couple of basics that this pastor is going to go by because I can promise you that you can go down the street and it's going to be different. You go to another Baptist church, it's going to be different. And I'm, I, don't, I don't say this to be nasty. You know, there's some people out there that are so critical of everything that everybody else does that nobody's going to please them. There's only one person that's ever going to get it right, and that's themselves and those that choose to model themselves after them, and nothing else is going to work. Well, you know, that's fine. Let them get on with it. I love them. I hope they're my brother and my sister in the Lord, and I hope that, you know, that what they're doing is working for them. 
But they're so busy being so critical. That's not the spirit I find in Scripture. That's a different than standing for what's right and standing against what's wrong. I would consider myself pretty conservative when it comes to music. But, you know, I've never found anybody yet that says, you know, I am way. Well, no, there are a few people that say, yeah, I want to be way out there <laughs> because I want to attract the world. And so we want to sing like the world. We want to entertain like the world. You find this term I mentioned last week many times called CCM, Contemporary Christian Music. The problem is, is, you know, people mean all kinds of different things by it. What does it mean to be contemporary? That means in our day. In other words, this is, this is something that is, that is new. Contemporary Christian music in its literal sense could mean any, any song that is written fresh today. Can God still use people to write songs today like he did 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 200 years ago? I believe so. And so in that sense, folks, just because it's contemporary Christian music doesn't mean that it's wrong. Now, on the other hand, there's a whole genre of music that many refer to as CCM, which is really sold mostly in the music stores of this world because even though it's got Christian lyrics to it, it still has great appeal to the world, and it really is maybe okay for entertainment, but it has no place in worship. It has no place in worship. Whether people like it or dislike it, look, everybody thinks they're unbiased. Everybody thinks that, you know, that uh, it's, it's all those other people that have got all the biases that believe what they believe. Well, we're pretty narrow-minded if we don't recognize we're all biased for some reason. And, you know, it's pretty silly to think that where you live, the culture that you live in, the way that you've been brought up, if you think that doesn't have anything to do with the kind of music that you like, that's pretty narrow-minded. Travel the world a little bit. Music varies from culture to culture. Music is different in other cultures. Instruments are different in other cultures. You know, some think that, you know, that you can't have anything more than a piano or it's wrong. It's unscriptural. I've been looking for that chapter and verse, and I just can't find it. When you sing in church, you must have a piano and nothing else. I haven't found it. If you can find it, please let me know. And I don't, I don't say that to be mean. I'm just saying, folks, let's be consistent. Let's be consistent. You know, if, if, if you're going to base that thing upon stuff that's not in the Scripture, then don't pretend that it's God that's the one that's directing it. You know, there's a whole other way. You think that a piano is the only thing that can glorify God in your church? Maybe an organ if you're old enough. But the simple truth is, is that, you know, that other, other places you could go to some countries, there ain't no way in the world they're going to have a piano out there in that jungle. <laughs> they might have some logs to beat on or something to clang together or something to, to, to keep time with the music, and they're going to go on with it. I made this statement, and I'll stand by it. And, and you know, yeah, <laughs> some people will like it, and some won't, and some would get mad. And some, I'm not worried about whether that other guy or that other woman, because they maybe have some big name in Christianity out there somewhere, whether they like or dislike, I'm worried about whether God likes it. And I think you better be consistent. You better be consistent in whatever you do for the Lord. So the truth is, is that, you know, if you're going to base what music that you're singing today on how old it is, I, I really can't figure out where that comes from, but, you know, be consistent. 
If, if, if your music's got to be 200 years old and do everything that you do 200 years old, <laughs> don't bring anything modern in. I bet those same people don't have a problem using a, a computer to help prepare their sermon. <laughs> By the same token, if you're not going to sing a song because that so-and-so wrote it, they don't believe the way you do, then be consistent. You probably have to rip most of the hymns out of your hymn book as well if you're going to be consistent. You say, you're not going to sing this one today because so-and-so down there sings it, and you're going to be identified with them, or so-and-so wrote it, and they just don't believe right on this and that and the other. You'd probably be amazed at what some of the people believe that wrote some of the hymns that you sing that are just fine. Simple truth is, is you know, you could even go through our hymn book, which I think is one of the finest, finest, biblically sound hymn books that you'll find anywhere. But you'll find stuff, some of that stuff in there was written by Calvinists and some was written by Armenians. Some was written even with people with some Pentecostal leanings. All kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of beliefs. And the simple truth is you don't know what most of them really believed when you sing it. I can only guide you this. And whoever wants to get mad can get mad or sad or glad or whatever they want. Because, I'm, you know, somebody has to take a stand somewhere. And I'm saying just like everything else you do, it needs to be biblical, spirit and in truth. If the words of that song, first of all, if they're not true in any way, shape, or form, then throw them out. We shouldn't be singing something that's not truth. If it's not something that we can sing from our heart that is going to glorify him, throw it out. A lot of music that is written, it may have good proper words to it, but it was written for your entertainment. It was written for your joy, not to worship him. You see, we talked about what worship is putting God in the awesomeness that he's really in. It's putting him in his place. It's where that he truly has our attention. It's where that he is being magnified. So there's music that's fine for you to listen to, but you're kidding yourself if you think that it's going to bring worship in a church house. Make sure it's true. And, you know, the simple truth is, is that whatever we're singing, you know, some songs are more peppy and some are more slow. Sometimes it's nice to sing a, a, a soft, melodic love song to the Lord and, and praise and things. And, and I know that, that, that some would think that you've really gone off the deep end, but it's, it's, it's actually okay to clap your hands sometimes. <laughs> it's actually okay to, even though that you're not singing it for your joy, it's okay to smile and enjoy what you're singing and be singing it to Him. Truth is, most, most, most music that gets sung is not worship anyway. People either aren't paying any attention to what they're singing They've sung those words so many times that they're just kind of going along with it. Not, not a bit more. There's no way in the world that it's coming from the heart. All that I can say as your pastor is, look, even in a small church like ours, people are going to like different kinds of music. People are going to have different tastes, and everybody's going to think that they're the ones that's got it right with the Lord. Be gracious. Understand you are who you are. Let's use the Bible as our guideline. You know, if I won't let you sing a song in this church because I think it's 
too much like the world, that it's too much entertainment, that it's, that it's all these things. Just, just respect the fact that God has put me here to lead this congregation, and I can't go there. I'm not interested in entertaining. I'm not interested in, in, in coming in here. I believe that there's a time. There's times when we can get together. We've done it right here. We get together for the sole purpose of just singing and having a good time singing music. We're not here as a worship service. We come together. You see, music, the melody does make a difference as well as the lyrics. It needs to be stuff that is uplifting to the Lord. So use the Bible as your guide. They that worship must worship in spirit and in truth. I read you some other passages last week to use as guides when you're singing those psalms and hymns, making melody in your heart. Don't let the devil keep you from worshiping by making you become overcritical. But don't become so uh, open-minded that you think that somehow we've got to sing the world's music in order to bring the world in. We're not the world. We never want to be the world. We never want to be like the world. We don't want to be entertained like the world. That's not why we're here. We're separate from the world. We are different from the world. And so I can only say this, that when I'm picking the music, listen to me, I'm not looking to see how old it is. I don't know where they actually put their guides on that stuff. If it's, if it's new, it's wrong. So I'm not looking to see how ancient it is. I'm looking to see how true it is. We choose the music. I'm not, I'm not really interested in, in, you know, well, exactly what did this guy believe on all these subjects. I'm interested in whether the words that he put in that song are truth. Are they true? You know, if, man, if we had to be, do you realize where in the world as we look through history is that person that's so doctrinally sound that God could actually use them to print and put down the words of a song? And everybody else, if they're, if they're different, <laughs> no way, no way. Make sure the words are truth. And the simple truth is, is that, you know, again, you know, we can sometimes begin to judge, well, you know, I don't believe that guy was a Christian because he believed this and he believed this and he believed this. Well, you make that judgment if you want to. There's an awful lot of people that believe an awful lot of things different from you, but there's only one thing that makes a person a Christian, and that's whether they saw themselves as a sinner and they humbled themselves before God and by God's wonderful grace, not because of who they were, what they were, what they were going to become, what they were going to believe, did they believe that as a sinner that Jesus Christ was the only one that had died upon the cross, that his blood atonement was sufficient for their sins, and when they humbled themselves before that holy God and they cried out to him forgive. It was based solely and totally upon what Jesus Christ had accomplished for them. You know what? I got a lot of brothers and sisters in Christ out there that I know are my brothers and sisters in Christ. But I wouldn't want to be part of their worship service. I wouldn't want to sing some of the music that they sing. I wouldn't want to do some of the things that they do. They're still my brother and sister in Christ. Be careful. Be careful. We're talking about contending for the faith. We're talking about there's things worth fighting for and things worth standing for, and we don't want to come an entertainment club around here. We don't want to become a place that is just some social place that people come together. And you know what? 
I can't tell you that I'm perfect when it comes to choosing the music we're going to sing here either. But I can tell you this, with God as my guide and my witness, I'll try to be consistent and I'll try to let the Bible be the guide. I know it's not going to suit everybody. It's not going to suit all of you, let alone everybody else out there. Can we sing what is true? And can we sing it in a way that truly lifts him, that truly puts him in the picture, that makes those words more meaningful? Not to take away. Do you know that a lot of people, they sing, whether it's Christian or pop or whatever, they go through singing all this stuff, you know, just because they've gotten caught up in this melody. And man, it's nice. And, and you know, what is it? Honest confession is good for the soul. I can still hear some of those old 60s and 70s hits that come on when I'm in some of these places. And you know what? Those words are still burned into that memory before you know it. You know, you find yourself, if you're not careful, you find yourself, it was just there, you know, and I said, wow. Is that what that song really said? <laughs> you know, some of these songs, man, I mean, they just kind of reach out there and they grab you and they catch you, and yet they're singing about the most ungodly stuff. You know, this woman going with that man and this one doing this and this one doing that sinful thing over there. And I mean, it's just, oh, but it's got such a catchy melody. You just kind of go right with it. Dangerous. What do we say? Why is music so divisive? Because you better realize how powerful it is. And it's one of the greatest tools of Satan. And it can be a great tool of the Lord as well. Music touches people. Music moves people. Music affects people. And we need to be very, very careful where we go. And, I, you know, sometimes I wonder, if, I wonder if any two preachers can fully agree. They kind of try to sometimes. I, I, I wonder if there's any congregation anywhere that can fully agree. But yet it becomes, look, don't let it become divisive for you. And be consistent. Don't let somebody else that is so critical that they're worried about what everybody else is doing and how they're doing it, meeting their standards, they can't take you to a chapter and a verse. They can tell you this and, oh, they can all put forth their convincing stories. Don't let it destroy what comes from your heart. Be careful. Don't get caught down that pike of just following the world. When the world comes in here, you know, I, I, matter of fact, I kind of worry if I'm listening to a song and I've got to start trying to figure out, is, is that Christian or is that rock? Is that pop? What is that? I don't think there's, you know, you know, again, if you're listening to it for entertainment, that's between you and God. But I don't want people coming in here and thinking they're in a, a worldly nightclub or something out there. That's not what we're here for. Use the Word of God. Let it be your basis. I won't charge you anything extra for that. It'll be just part of the normal, but singing. And we could, you know, we could spend so much time there, and there's so many things that are said about it. But go back and, and, and look at the things that we've looked at on that. Consider the things there. There's something else, Brother Steve, that is an important part of our services that we need to realize, and that's this thing called prayer. You know, that's usually right there, right at the top when we come together. We'll sing an opening hymn to kind of get everybody together in here. And the first thing we do then is we pray and we commit our time to the Lord. We have that opening prayer. We kind of begin by approaching God to, to give him thanks for allowing us to, to be together again, to commit the time that we're going to have into the, into the Lord's hands to 
to seek his guidance and his blessing on everything that we're going to do and praying that God help us so that everything that we do today will bring glory to you. It'll glorify you. And then we, you know, we sing another song and we, we take up an offering. We, we have an offertory prayer. We go to God and we want to thank him for the blessing to be able to, to give and to give to, to, to his work, you know, to, to be good stewards. God has blessed us with so much to be able to use part of that for his glory. So we pray over that offering. And then right after that, we have another prayer, which is normally what we would call an, an intercessory prayer. That's when we, we intercede on behalf of others. We bring the, the special needs that we know of, those physical needs and those, and those spiritual needs. We pray for our missionaries. We pray for our, for our church as a whole and, and all the various ministries that are going on. We pray for the, for the witness of the church. Any particular needs that we're aware of, it's a time when we take those things before the Lord in prayer. And then... We usually have a prayer of praise and thanksgiving for God's Word. Usually just, just, just after reading God's Word, there's just that, that moment of prayer and thanking God that we've got His Word, thanking Him that we've got His Spirit to take and, and, and guide us and use that and anoint the preaching of His Word. And of course then, usually right at the end of the sermon, we have another prayer, which is a prayer for, for all those that have been under the hearing of God's Word that their hearts might be open to what God has said, that the preacher's been able to get out of the way and that God's word has gone forth and that the power of spirit is there, that people would receive what God has got for them. You know, again, one of the favorite tricks of the devil, man, he wants, I know it's not real hard sometimes, but he wants to get you upset with me if he can. <laughs> he wants you to think, oh, man, the preacher shouldn't have said that. Well, I might say some things I shouldn't say sometimes, but don't get upset with me. It's not intentional. The simple truth is, is that more times than not, it's the devil playing with you. The devil's not wanting you to receive what God's got for you because it might actually change you. It might actually be an answer to that prayer that we usually pray that, that God would touch us, that we could be nearer to him, that we can be more like him. We pray for the lost to be saved, for the backslider to be restored for the Christian to be strengthened and more Christ-like. If that's not enough, then we never have another prayer. You say, we do all those prayers? Yes. During one worship service, we normally would have those. And then that closing prayer, again, thanking God for all that he has done, sinking his continued hand of blessing, power upon each one as they part company down here. Folks, I can't overstate the importance of prayer. I think it would be kind of hard to communicate with God. Preacher, is that biblical? Well, yeah, it was right there in our reading this morning even. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in, what's the next word? Prayers. We can find it all through the Bible. We find that prayer was very much a part of what they're doing. Prayer, folks, is going to be the powerhouse of the church. Sometimes we wonder, why isn't God doing more? 
You ever wondered, you don't have to shake your head or raise your hand. You ever wondered, wow, wonder why the preacher didn't do a better job. wonder why he didn't preach better. <laughs> well, how much did you pray for him? How much did you pray for God to really use him? Have you ever, have you ever wondered, you know, well, I wonder, you know, I wonder why, man, that lost person was there. I wonder why they didn't get saved. Can I ask you how much time you spent praying for them? Genuinely? We might wonder why a lot of things don't happen. Well, I want to tell you something. You're never, ever going to get beyond operating in your flesh if you're not communicating with God. It won't happen. You can go back and study, folks, every genuine revival in history has begun with prayer somewhere. Sometimes just a, most of the time, as a matter of fact, just a handful of people that were genuinely praying to God. I know that prayer doesn't have a big place a lot of times and a lot of people coming together. But no person, no church, no revival has ever been empowered without prayer. In the matter of worship, it is essential. It is necessary. It must be a part of what we're doing. We find that we have a lot of instructions, and certainly the subject of prayer would be one all on its own. But a great example of prayer in the context of worship is found when Paul was writing to young Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Notice what he says. He says, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. You mean our prayers can actually affect what our government does and the way they go? Absolutely. Your prayers can have an effect very much. He says, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth, God's will, for all to be saved. Should that be a part of our prayers? Absolutely. If they're lost, you ought to be praying for them. It is God's will for them to come to know Jesus Christ. It says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. That's the only way that we can get to God who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Paul said, wherefore I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Now, I know some of you probably get just about as nervous about lifting up hands as, as praying. Um, I'm afraid that's not the only place that's in the Bible, though. Simple truth is, is that 
Paul writing to this young preacher, Timothy, he's not cutting any corners, Brother Steve, about the importance of prayer. James chapter 5, verse 16. Listen carefully, very carefully. Confess your faults one to another. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, this passage is most definitely in the context of the church and underlines once again, matter of fact, in that same passage is where he talks about if they're sick among you, bring them, come to the elders of the church, asking them to anoint you with oil and pray over you. It is most definitely in the context of the church being assembled together. Confess your faults one to another. I could park there for a while. Do you know, I've said it so many times from this front, and yet even today, one of the greatest griefs in my life is to hear the things that some of you say about each other, to see your attitudes towards someone else because they don't meet your standards or do what you want them to do. The little snide comments that's made to someone. And do you know, I don't know anybody that's ever set out to be destructive. The sad thing is the flesh, my flesh, your flesh is a terrible thing. It will do terrible things. And you know, earlier in this book of James, you know, one of the things that he points out is the deadliness of that the, 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 the thing called a tongue. He likens it to a snake. Now, most of you wouldn't think too kindly if I came around sticking a snake in your face and he's sticking his forked tongue out there at you. But he says, that's exactly, that's what he likens you to, like that snake, your tongue going out there with that poison of an asp. You see, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying in any church, when you get a bunch of people together, I don't care how many times I've preached it so many times from the front, you'd think that everybody was sick and tired of it. And yet, why is it that you find yourself, number one, somebody else, you say, well, you know what old so-and-so did. You know what old so-and-so said. You know what old so-and-so said. <sighs> don't listen. If you're willing to sit there and lend them an ear, you're wrong. Don't listen. If what they're saying, if it's not encouraging, if it's not lifting someone else up, I'm saying cut them off at the knees. Don't be guilty of being part of their gossip. Everybody knows what everybody else ought to be doing and what everybody else ought to be thinking. The devil has a heyday. Listen to me very carefully, everybody. Are you listening carefully? If you say one word that is against someone else, that is to someone else instead of that person, I don't care what they've done. You've just committed a sin that's just as serious as anything they might have done. Bible says there's one place to go. 
Do you know that one place? If you've got a problem, I don't care who it is or what it is. You go to the person you got the problem with, and if you say it to anybody else, you're wrong. You're going to bring division. You're doing just as wrong whatever you got a problem with them with. There is no place for it. You go to them. I've said before, you got a problem with somebody? You need somebody to go with me, with you? Come and see me. Don't come and see me telling me what bad thing they've done or thought or should have done unless you're willing to face them with it, though. I love you, but I don't want any part of your gossip because it's ungodly and it's unbiblical and there's more churches that have been destroyed by tongues than any false doctrine that's ever been preached. Folks, whose faults will confess your faults? You want to talk about what somebody's got wrong. What's wrong with somebody? Confess your faults one to another. And then pray for each other with it. Pray about it. Devil hates that. Oh, people don't like it too good. Well, they think I'm more spiritual than that. If I told them that's what I'd done, or I told them that was my weakness, or I, I told them that's what I thought, well, boy, they're going to think so bad of me. And guess what? You keep right on, and you keep right on doing it, and you keep right on having that struggle. Because you're too proud. Confess your faults. He's saying to the body, confess your faults one to another. If you're struggling with something, if you want to deal with it, guess what? Get everybody praying about it. And if there's anybody there that thinks even one iota less of you because of your fault that you committed, <laughs> you're better off without them anyway. They ought to be wanting to build you up to strengthen you. Prayer. Folks, if you quit saying it to everybody else, about everybody else, and say it to each other about what I need prayer for, look, these are my faults. You might have, you know, this one, it don't matter what you, I can only deal with mine. I can help you pray for yours, and you can help me pray for mine, but it's not my place to point out anybody else's faults. Gossip, gossip, gossip. Destroy your joy. Destroy the church. Why don't we see more happening? Well, this is a good place to start. Why is prayer such an important part? Oh, we'll, we have special prayer meetings. It's not just in worship. But it's got to be part of our time of coming together. If we're going to get focused upon God, we've got to get rid of the flesh. You've got to get rid of it. I've got to get rid of it. And folks, we're not going to do that on our own. Together, in prayer, we can. I didn't plan on spending that much time there, but I, I want you to realize and understand and grasp. I'm going to give you this in closing this morning. I shared it sometime here not long ago because it had such an inspiring effect on my life, and I can't remember if it was a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening or when it was. But I've told you the story before about C.H. Spurgeon when he was preaching in the Metropolitan Tabernacle. You know, it's an amazing thing. I mean, Mr. Spurgeon, of course, he was, he was raised in a pastor's home, and his granddad was a pastor. But, you know, I mean, this little whippersnapper, I mean, before he had even, even chance to think about his further education, you know, he gets saved, and he's like 16, 17 years old. 
He's like 16 when he starts preaching. I think he's 17. He was pastor at his first church. He was still in his teens when New Park Street Baptist Church in London called him to be their pastor. And I mean, this was a famous church. The numbers have been declining like mad. And he goes in there and he starts preaching and people come all over, start piling in there to, to hear this. This, this guy's just a whippersnapper. He's just, he's just green around the ears. You know what? Well, he's just a kid. People flocking in. Of course, the deacons got upset with him, tried to straighten him out to start with because he was inviting people to come to Christ. They were afraid somebody that, uh, that wasn't elected might get saved. Uh, but they got past that. And, uh, you know, Mr. Spurgeon, uh, the Lord blessed his ministry so much that when the Metropolitan Tabernacle was built, Steve, man, I, I, I would like to have that problem sometime when I understand from reading that at least one Sunday out of the month, he had to ask all the members, please stay home and don't come to church that Sunday because there was always so many visitors waiting outside that couldn't get in that he'd ask them to stay at home so the lost people could get in. So they could preach them. Wow. <laughs> the thing is, is, you know, this wasn't because of a man that built himself. This was a man that he didn't have a lot of formal education himself, not from the world's point of view, but yet he grew up to be one of the greatest teachers that ever lived of the scriptures. We find that he was very much self-taught. I mean, it wasn't that he didn't learn. Man, he spent hours and hours and hours, even as a kid in those, in those libraries, reading the Bible and reading those books. One day, somebody asked him, Mr. Spurgeon said, what's, you know, what's, what's, what's the secret? Why, why, do all the, why does this place fill up so much and people can't get in and you have to ask your church folks to stay home so you can get the lost people in some? Why? What's the secret? He said, the secret's not what's on the platform. It's what's under the platform. Big platform that he stood there, a metropolitan tabernacle, seats something like 5,000 people. I mean, that was a big church in his day. This was the late 1800s. <laughs> Here we go. Under the platform. Yeah. Beneath the platform he stood on. And I've seen different figures, but... The estimate comes somewhere between two and 300 people. That was their responsibility for that service. While Mr. Spurgeon was on the platform preaching, there were two or 300 people underneath that platform praying, praying, praying. I mean, spending that whole service praying for God to use that man up on the platform, that God's truth might go forth, that people's hearts might be touched. We pray a lot in our services, in our time of worship. Folks, it's essential. The simple truth is we probably ought to pray a lot more. And may I say this to you? A lot of these prayers in worship time are public prayers. And that's some of the least effective praying in the world because if you're not careful, when I call your name or your name or your name to lead in prayer on behalf of this whole congregation, if you're not careful, the old mind and the old flesh, you know, you're going to worry about what somebody else thinks, whether you're going to pray for the right thing, whether you're going to forget this or say this, or what somebody else is going to think. Don't worry what anybody thinks. Some of the most powerful prayers I've ever heard in my life are some of the simplest prayers. The effectual, fervent prayer 
of a righteous bed availeth much. No prayer has ever been prayed from the mind. We learn things here. So-and-so sick. So-and-so needs this. So-and-so struggling with this. But if those things don't make it down here, it'll never be effectual. It'll never be an effectual prayer. It'll never be a fervent prayer. We're talking about a prayer that comes from within. That if you would, it has some fervency. That doesn't mean you've got to pray louder than the other guy. It doesn't mean you've got to pray faster. It, doesn't mean, it means it's got to come from here. It's got to come because there's a meaning to it. There's a passion to it. Because you're feeling it from your heart. You're praying it with your heart. You're not worried about what anybody else thinks. You're praying to God. Folks, if we could just begin to grasp, please understand. I want more than anything in the world. Matter of fact, you know, I, I, I don't mean this in any ulterior way. I would gladly, if it meant that you could worship more and that more people worship better and that more people could be saved and, and you could, I gladly would move from the pulpit and, and go wherever God wants me and, and put somebody else up there. The church isn't about the pastor. It's not about who's standing in the pulpit as long as it's the person God wants in the pulpit. The simple truth is, you know, I want us to come together not to waste our time, not to be worried about spending, you know, I mean, look at it. We've done it today. Did you realize what time it was? <laughs> We've gone over the allotted time. That's a no-no. Some places I'd get my marching orders as soon as the service came to a close. Folks, we're not here for an allotted time. We're not here so we can get through our program of events that we have laid out for our order of service. We've come together as a body of Christ. Listen, <laughs> I'm a short preacher. If we want to go back to some of that old stuff, I mean, those guys used to preach a couple of three hours. I haven't had the, uh, um, I started to say pleasure, but that's not a very good word to use. <laughs> I haven't had the, uh, the opportunity to preach as long as the Apostle Paul did if somebody fell out of the window and broke their neck and died yet. Um, sometimes some people might wish they could fall out of their chair and die. <laughs> but the simple truth is, is that, folks, I want our time to be real. Let's genuinely worship God in our singing, in our prayers. You know, it's, it's, it's not something to impress somebody else. It's something that God can use that will take us into his presence. That's what it's about. We're coming together to see him in his awesomeness. And our music should help do that for us. And our prayers should help do that for us. And our prayers in and of themselves, communicating to God. And if you're praying on behalf of the congregation, you're communicating. It's like, it's like you know, you're the spokesman that the person's putting out there in front because... I mean, you know, we could all just all pray at the same time. It would sound like total mass chaos to us, but God wouldn't have any trouble understanding all of us at the same time. We normally ask one person to pray. And then we understand. The Bible says we can say amen to what they've prayed, to what they've said. So prayer is vital. When we come together, um, I didn't plan to spend this much time on music or prayer. But if it helps us to grasp and understand, folks, we don't need to have more church services. 
We don't need to have just times that we've come and spent and done our ob- obligatory thing. I started to say it the American, the obligatory thing. The obligatory thing. <laughs> we want to worship the Lord when we've come together for that purpose. We'll look at some of the other men right now and worship. When we sing, let's sing from our hearts and let's sing the truth. When we pray, let's pray from our hearts. Let's pray truth. Confess your faults once. Let's pray honestly, beginning by confessing what we need to pray about. Let's base it upon what God says is real prayer. And as we take these things to the Lord. You know, if you're here today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then today is your opportunity. This could be the greatest day of your life because he's here for you today. He'll save you, not just because you know about him, not just because you know all of these religious facts, but if you'll seek forgiveness from God today, if you'll ask the Lord to forgive you because of what Jesus Christ did for you, he paid for your sins. He did it. He'll save you today. He will. And Christian, have, have you been letting God down because maybe, maybe, maybe you've been worried more about this worship thing has been more about you, whether you enjoy it, whether you like it, what it's doing for you, how it's helping you, whether you need it or don't need it. When it should always be about others, it should be about glorifying Him. And it should be about everything that you do is for the good of the whole, not for you, for all those others that are part of the body. When we sing, are we singing to that end? When we pray, are we praying to that end? Our worship can be totally meaningless. It can just be time, another church service that we've gone to. Or it can be a time when we truly, truly come into the presence of God and his awesomeness together as a body. Yes, our lives will be touched, but our lives can only be touched when he's the center of all that we're doing. Father, thank you this morning for our time together. Lord, we know that... Lord, these are important things when it comes to how we come together and the time that we spend in it. It can all be so wasted and we can, we can get into such a ritualistic thing of meeting at our certain times and doing our certain things. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us in looking at these things. And I know, I know there's so much division amongst your people over a lot of them. Father, you just help us. Help us to be biblical in all that we do. Help us, Lord, that whether or not it pleases man or any group of men, help us to please you. Father, you know the hearts of each one here today. There might be somebody here today that needs to be saved. They've never truly had their sins forgiven. Maybe they've had a lot of religion, but they've never humbled themselves before a holy God. Come to you through Jesus Christ and his finished work on Calvary. Lord, I pray that you would speak to their hearts today as only you can. And Lord, for the Christians here, maybe there are those here that are just, Lord, they're guilty of either not coming together with the right heart, the right attitude, or maybe their attitude is towards somebody else. There's no way they're going to have the right attitude here because, Lord, maybe their tongue, rather than confessing their own faults to pray for them, has been trying to confess other people's faults.
And Lord, I know they can come up with all kinds of rationales and reasons. Well, I'm just saying this so you can pray about it. Well, if they haven't gone to the person that it's about, then they ought not to be worrying about somebody else praying for it. They ought to be worrying about that person. Lord, if there's here today and their lives, their joy has been taken because of the wrong attitudes, help us, Lord, that whether it's our singing or our prayer, the other things that we look at, help us, Lord, in all that we do. Help it to be focused on you, on your glory. Help us, Lord, to have that essential element that is being done in spirit and in truth. Help us, Lord, whether it's our music, whether it's our prayers, or the other things, help it to be based upon your word, not man's ideas, not man's traditions, but upon your word. We give you the praise for it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. 